Hey there, and welcome to Vet Club. This is an episode of Veterinary Journal Club. I'm back to our weekly student journal club uh, um, schedule. I don't even know. Um, so I am excited to welcome uh, a new guest to the show, Jen Carter, who is a second year veterinary student. And so you signed up for this journal club and you selected the article yourself. Um, so kudos to you. Um, that was, and it was also really awesome for me. I didn't have to put any thought or effort into picking an article. So thank you for that. Um, so yeah, let's just get right to it. So Jen, tell me about... Um, Maybe, maybe share with everybody the title of the article and why you picked it. Sure. The title of the article is Veterinary Chiropractic Treatment as a Measure to Prevent the Occurrence of Spondylosis in Boxers. Okay. And I picked it because I'm interested in veterinary chiropractic, there potentially. It's a good reason um, to pick it. I have a background in yoga and body work, uh -huh. and I have seen chiropractic help humans. Yeah. And so when I was working in a small animal practice... Mm -hmm. Uh, I would just see little dogs come in and just think, oh, if somebody could adjust you, maybe right. that would help. And the vet really kind of only had either go to the neurologist or mm -hmm. have some pain meds. And yeah. I thought, you know, maybe. Maybe there's more maybe to it. Maybe something could help. Yeah. But I'm also, you know, I have a science background, so yeah. I also have a little, you know, does it really work? Right. You hate to recommend things, especially right. for people to spend money or do things if it's not actually going to help. Yeah. And so yeah. I'm interested in exploring it, but I also kind of want to yeah. know, you know, is it really helpful? Yeah, love that. Um, and that's like, that's the line you got to walk, right? Um, and you had mentioned to me before, um, so I hope it's okay that I'm sharing this, <laughs> that that you felt a little bit nervous about, you know, this as a topic because some people kind of poo-poo the whole thing. They're like, ugh, that's not, you know, that's not a real thing. And that's and really so tell me a little bit more about, you know, what you've experienced there. You don't have to like, don't name names or anything, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> tell me, you know, tell me kind of what's been your general experience with whether it's veterinary chiropractic or other um, like Eastern medicines or just other non-traditional sure. treatments and, and what's your experience yeah. been? We'll get to the, we can get to the vet specific sure. one in a, in a moment but yeah you know I um so I taught yoga for mm -hmm. over a decade um and I also did Hawaiian body work which is called Lomi Lomi okay and Lomi Lomi on the surface just looks like really nice body work but when you say body work okay the first thing I think of is like a car and it gets body right. work so oh, tell no, me what yeah. tell me what that like, means like I don't a know. like a massage okay gotcha. yeah so it kind of okay. looks like a massage on Got the it. surface but it combines more than that so there's okay. a massage like part of it there's what my friends call lazy yoga. You lay there and I stretch you. It's really nice. <laughs> that does nice. sound nice. <laughs> um, there's energy work, kind of like uh -huh. Reiki, if you've okay. ever heard yep, of Okay, yep, I've heard of that. Uh, and then there's actually joint adjustments. So okay. my teacher does full spinal adjustments like a chiropractor. Gotcha. So I've, it's kind of blending a lot of different yeah. things together. It's a little bit of yoga, a little bit of stretching, a little bit of massage, a little bit of chiropractic. Exactly. Got it. Body and then the, Sounds right. <laughs> the other piece is that uh, talking is a big piece of it. So you okay. have to understand like what's going on in the person's life to. Oh, see, yeah, this is where you lost me. Right. <laughs> like when I get a massage, I'm like, I want silence. Right. Talk to me. Okay. So okay we don't no, talk during, going. we don't have to, they don't have to talk during oh, okay. that, but. Oh, but, but before and after. Before, okay. Gotcha. Right? Okay. That's acceptable. Yeah. And so, you know, I believe in that work and it's yeah. really good, but there's a lot of people that are like, I don't know right. if that kind yeah. of stuff works. And yeah. so I've always, you know, kind of dealt Which with is, that. Which is to be fair, a fair question, right? Oh, like completely. it's totally reasonable to ask the question, what completely. is the evidence that that works? Right. Yeah. And same thing sometimes with yoga or, you mm -hmm. know, meditation parts of yoga specifically. Mm -hmm. They're like, why do I need to do yeah. that? What does it really do? Yeah. So I've always kind of dealt with that. And then, yeah, when I've 
been here in school, uh-huh. sometimes I mention, oh, I'm kind of interested in yeah. maybe doing a chiropractic certification. And some people are like, oh, that sounds great. Yeah. And some people are like, no. <laughs> they say no. Well, not it's like not like no, but you can just just like, like that's dumb or yeah, yeah what a waste like, of time. I don't think there's anything to that. You okay, know, cool. So you thing. were like, let's see what's out there. Yeah. So you did a a, a quick literature search. What you you just search for like veterinary chiropractic and yeah, I searched veterinary chiropractic. A few different things popped sure. up, um, yeah. and then picked this one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Awesome. So um, before we get into the article itself, I'll share a little bit of my experience as well. So. Yeah. Um, with some of the things that you have described. <laughs> so I have, I don't know if we've ever talked about this on the show. I have chronic lower back pain. Oh. Um, I've had, I had back surgery uh, between first and second year of vet school. So it's been, a, it's been a while now. So I had back surgery um, a long time ago, which was like the greatest thing that ever happened to me. Not going to lie. I had terrible sciatica. Um, I had a herniated disc and um, I woke up from surgery. My back pain was gone. And it was like, oh my gosh, how it was the greatest thing in the whole world. I was in tears because the pain was gone. Nice. Now, fast forward 10, 12 years, something like that. You know, I get older, I'm a little, not as good a shape as I was back then. And I was starting to get recurrence, not of the sciatica, not of the, the shooting leg pain, which was the worst in the world, mm-hmm. but I had now lower back pain, yeah. which my surgeon had actually warned me that like a fair number of people that have this. And so I tried, I don't want to say everything, <laughs> but close, mm-hmm. um, because it would wax and wane. And I'd had flare ups like over the years, but, uh, it some I had this one point where I'm like, my back is bad and I couldn't get it better again. And I tried all the things. So I, um, I did physical therapy a number of times disappointed in that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I got one of those inversion tables for my back mm-hmm. disappointed in that. Um, I more multiple rounds of physical therapy. Um, I tried chiropractic, um, disappointed in that. That didn't work. I got really frustrated, bought a new bed, new mattress. Like, I mean, (laughs) you name all the things, Mm -hmm. um, all the things. And I I got really frustrated because I would do research, like looking for like, how do you treat? And it was just like lumping together millions of people with chronic lower back pain. And I was like, is it's just not possible in my mind that we all have the exact same problem and that right. you like, so I'm like, does anybody actually try to figure out what's causing my specific back pain? Like right. what muscles are the problem or this and that? Um, and the answer I found was if they are there, those people are incredibly hard to find, yes. um, if not impossible. So I was not getting good luck. Like I got to the point I had a repeat MRI. Like I, I was looking for like, what is going on? What ultimately worked for me, um, I don't know for sure. I did two things simultaneously that were kind of linked. um, And that was the only point in my life. And this was now four years ago. And my back's been great since. But I started doing yoga and I started losing weight. Ah, yes. (laughs) And I I suspect at this point now that it was a combination of those things because I haven't been doing so pre-pandemic. I like I was never I'm never one for like going to workout classes. I was I never thought that was like my thing. And I had tried like yoga here and there, but never really had anybody teach me how to do it. And I was like, um, it wasn't I played sports for forever. Um, but like this I was like, I don't I need somebody to like tell me what to do and like tell me what to yeah. do. And so I kind of had been avoiding yoga for a long time. My parents got into it for a while and they were doing it and they were loving it. And I was like, oh. but I was at my wits end. I'm like, I got to try something. So this yoga studio had opened pretty close to where I was living at the time. And it seemed cool. So I convinced my husband um, to join. They had like some you know deal for the first month. And so he did it with me. Um, I'll tell you off the first class, I was pretty sure it was never coming back, <laughs> but we did um, a yin class, which is just stretching. Yes, yes. And I was like, I mean, I can't, but I wanted to, I didn't want to do one class and give up on it. I was like, I'm going to give yeah. this like a solid bit of time. And so did a yin class that was pretty good. And then hot yoga. 
Oh. oh yeah, love me. So, so this was in Florida at the time yeah. where some days you, you it's hotter and more humid outside of the yoga hot class <laughs> right. than I'm in. But like, so, and my husband and I, like you're, we're just dripping sweat. And, and it was, the, we li- I liked this because it was the same sequence every class. Oh, you liked that? I liked that because I could get better because yeah. I mean, I sucked at the beginning. <laughs> um, and the hot helped because I was able to really loosen up and all this kind of stuff. Um but also during that time, that that particular yoga studio did these fun challenges, like how many classes can you attend in a month? And that like awakens the competitiveness in my husband and me. Uh-huh. And so we were, they did some challenges and we were like, yeah, I'm going to win these. And, you know, one time I actually did win a raffle. It was cool. Um, but then we're like, we're going to challenge ourselves. Like this month, we're going to cut out sugar and blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So during all this yoga, I was also losing weight. Um, and at some point, I couldn't tell you exactly when I stopped and I was like, oh my, I'm putting my socks on by myself. Like it sort of happened. I don't know exactly when it happened, but it happened in that time. Now the pandemic hit and yoga kind of fell by the wayside because we couldn't go in. We tried some of the like Zoom classes and it just wasn't the same. You can't do hot yoga if you can't have a hot studio. Um, And so that kind of fell by the wayside. Um, We're now doing CrossFit. Um, But for me, like I lost probably like 30 pounds, which is a lot of weight. Um, And uh, so I, I think... The yoga definitely helped in a lot of ways, but I think the weight loss was probably the biggest thing for, for me for my back because maintaining that and maintaining at that lower weight has helped. I have, my back's been great since. I can do CrossFit now, which That's is pretty awesome. awesome. Yeah. So my personal experience was chiropractic didn't work for me. Um, yoga did, um, at least in part. And, um, but I also think it's not a one size fits all. Yeah. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. Like, I, you know, I understand people are get, I want to try anything, but it's really nice to have science to say, well, it works in this case, but not in this case. Right. Um, so I'm always skeptical of anybody who's like, this works always for everything. I'm like, that yeah. doesn't exist. That's yeah. not a thing. So I like that this study that we are actually going to talk about the study, I promise. Um, <laughs> I like that this study is narrow. It's got a narrow focus, which is yeah. what good research should have. Um, so you've, you've mentioned the title um, and then the author. So this was in um, the journal uh, Veterinary Sciences. And the authors are um, Drs. Hall and Granhus. I'm probably saying those names wrong. But this was published, I think, in 2021. Yeah, I think so. And, and, um, I'll put a link, um, on the podcast website, but, um, so give me an overview, just a brief overview. Like what did they, what are they looking at? What was the study? Yeah. So they took, uh, litters of boxer puppies Mm -hmm. and split the litters. They had 17 litters. Mm -hmm. They split them so that their sibling matched Mm -hmm. in the control group and the treatment group. And then from the time of eight weeks old Mm -hmm. to one year, they gave the monthly chiropractic treatments. Yes. And then they looked at the um, the incidents of, yeah. incidents of spondylosis at one year. Yeah. So their their background that's perfect. Their background, or you know, the introduction, their whole point for the study was saying we see spondylosis, um, spondylosis deformans, which they just like we're going to not say the deformans <laughs> part forevermore. Um, so spondylosis, um, and what is that? What is spondylosis? So spondylosis is where. Um, ligament on the ventral surface of the spine gets mm-hmm. um, ossified. Yeah. So the thought process is there's like instability, right? So the the joint between two vertebrae gets loosey-goosey. And so the body doesn't like that. So it tries to stabilize it. And so you get bony growth in between the different vertebrae. And so this can happen at one location. It can happen throughout the spine. Um, and, and so I, I'm going to start 
because I actually, I thought this was a really good study. I was really <laughs> impressed with it, but I am going to put my first complaint out there. Um, and so what do you know about spondyl? Like if, if we find spondylosis on radiographs, what do we know about it? They mentioned it in the, in the, stu- in the article, but they didn't go into great detail. Like what does it indicate? There's different levels of it. So there's different levels. Yeah. And then what else? Well, I guess you just said maybe there's something else, but it indicates that there was instability. Yeah, but what does that mean for the dog? It could mean nothing. Yeah. Or it could mean pain and Yeah. Sadness. Exactly. So that that's the first kind of issue is yeah. we still don't really understand the true clinical significance of finding spondylosis. Like we might find it incidentally on animals that as best we can tell don't have chronic, right. um, you know, or don't have back pain or don't have any issues, don't have any deficits. Now, if we can tell, obviously they're not speaking to us. And so maybe they do have some signs and we're just not able to tease that out of them. Um, but to date, there have been mixed results on the clinical significance of the presence of spondylosis on radiographs, because that's a radiographic diagnosis, right? When you find the spondylosis, um, you're seeing that on x-rays. And so that's the first thing. Um, Again, there's always problems any study you do, and and you have to pick something. So, um, But they're saying, hey, this could be an indication that there is instability of the spine, and we know that it's, you know, present in greater frequency in some breeds than others. And I love love their design. They're like, we're going to take litters. So they're basically going to do chiropractic treatments prophylactically. We're going to say, if we just start these treatments, and we're going to look for instability or areas of reduced mobility and and try to track that, but basically we're just going to plan to do treatments in half of these dogs over a year, and then and just see what what we find. So that was really cool. Um, but that's that's the one thing is like well, we we still don't totally know what spondylosis means for the patient. Um, and there have been conflicting reports. But yeah, th- this study spanned almost a decade, which is also friggin' awesome. Yeah. Like it's just they like super dedicated that they're like okay, seventeen. I think there was actually nineteen litters, but they ended up with seventeen. So um, there were some issues with you know dropout, which always happens. But so this was prospective. And then the idea of starting with a litter for a variety of reasons. One, we can follow them hopefully better over time. But two, we're splitting each litter up so that we're trying to control for the confounders of genetics, which I thought was really cool. Now, they didn't, when they divided up the litters, they didn't divide them up with respect to gender with males versus females, which I wonder if if they could do it again, they might do it differently. Um, Although it ended up being a pretty even distribution, which is how randomization should work if you have enough numbers. Um, Because there was, again, conflicting reports, but some reports that spondylosis happens more frequently in females. Like we needed one more thing, but um, (laughs) so, okay. So they, they took Ultimately, they included 17 different litters um, over, again, for each litter, they followed them for about a year. And at the end of that year, um, radiographed everybody. And so what did they find? They found that the frequency of occurrence of spondylosis was lower in the treated dogs. Significantly, but barely significantly. Sure. It wasn't yeah. hugely significant. Sure. But it was something. Yeah. So yeah, numbers wise, I think um, the frequency or the, the incidence of spondylosis in the treated dogs was like 25% somewhere around in there. Yep. Twenty, And then in the untreated dogs was like 43%. I think it was 46. Or 46, somewhere in there. 46, yeah. So again, um, now that those are big differences, right? Like it's yeah. almost double. So why, why do you think that didn't, um, that wasn't significant? Um, maybe sample size. I mean, some of it's, it's sample size. Huge. Yeah. Um, some of it's sample size. Also, the other interesting thing is, um, 
they and they reported on this in the study, so they did a good job of sharing that information. But like reported rates of spondylosis, also like the numbers they got fell within that range. Yeah. So it's not surprising then that you know it's not necessarily going to be a slam dunk. This is you know boom statistically is just blowing us away because out in nature like there's already a pretty big range. The other thing, and I just kind of did this in my head um, in table one. If you look at that, this is where they list the number of litters, and then um, they, they did a really nice job of sharing this with you, like how many um, dogs were in that litter and how many were treated, how many of those were male, female, and they give you that whole distribution. Um, including who was included and then who actually got radiographs at the end. But they also include the parents, um, so the male-female combos, um, and if what their spondylosis scores were. And I just did the math in my head real quick. Not in my head. I counted them up, and then I used my calculator to divide the... Um, and so, the the um, interestingly, the frequency of dogs... So either the dad or the mom um, was about 32%. So I thought that was kind of fascinating. They didn't, I don't think if, it, if they reported it in the study, I missed it, but I don't think they did. But I thought it was interesting that in the untreated dogs, the rate that they found spondylosis was actually higher than the rate in the parents. Um, really? Yeah. So, cause again, it was like 46% of the dogs that didn't get chiropractic treatments oh, yeah. ended up having, and it yeah, was only 30, I think it was 32 when I did okay. the math, 32% of the adults yeah. um, that spawned these babies had spondylosis to begin with. Cause they did talk about that. It was, it's a heritable or it seems, it seems to be yeah. that there's a, uh, a heritable condition to this. And so I was like, well, that's disappointing. Mm -hmm. Um, because percentage-wise. So I thought that was sort of interesting. But all three of those percentages sort of fall within the published ranges for spondylosis. Um, but it's promising. Yeah. It's super promising. Now, they had some secondary things they were looking at in this study. What were the what was the secondary thing they were trying to tease out? Right. So they were looking at when they got their chiropractic treatments, mm -hmm. when the person doing the treatment mm -hmm. determined that one of the joints was... Mm -hmm. Not normal. Yeah. <laughs> and so they wanted to see if that correlated. Yeah. With a spondylosis yeah. later. And what did they find there? They found it didn't. Yeah. So there was no correlation there. So they weren't able to tease that out. Um, so what, like, how, what was your take home on that? What did you think? Um, I thought that was interesting. Mm -hmm. I, I would have thought that that would have matched up. Yeah, they did too. That was their um, hypothesis. But maybe it kind of indicates possibly that the treatment was more affecting the spine overall and creating kind of an overall stability yeah. rather than like specifically treating yeah. um, good individual thought. That's a places. good thought. I kind of took this as spondylosis is obviously going to be multifactorial, right? Because like, as we just talked about, like the heritability is obviously mm -hmm. complicated because we had more dogs that had spondylosis in this study than their parents had, um, you know, statistically speaking. Um, so it's complicated is the short version. Like how much does diet play a role? Were all these dogs on the same diet? I mean, I have no idea. Right. I just threw that out there randomly. I have no <laughs> idea. But like, what if it does? You know, this dog had more or less of this, you know, nutrient or what was the exercise regimen of these dogs? What were the, you know, there, so there's lots of those questions um and so yeah they were trying to say can we tease this out a little bit more but the answer is no but you mentioned something um that kind of brought up another limitation which they talked about at length in the study i think they did a really nice job of saying hey we understand that this is a limitation but this is what we got and that's the scoring system can you talk a little bit more about how they scored the spondylosis in these dogs yeah so normally and this was done in 
Norway, is that right? Yeah, I believe so. There's a Norwegian scoring system, mm-hmm. and it's a zero is no spondylosis yep. We at don't all. see any anywhere. A one is a smaller bl- bone spur mm-hmm. at one of the joints. And they got pictures in this to help yeah. you if you're not picturing this in your head right now. And then a two is larger bone spurs mm-hmm. that don't make a full bridge across the... Yep. Uh, vertebral joint and then the three is a full bridging spondylosis yep okay but yeah yeah. what they did was they turned it into a binary yes or Mm -hmm. no Mm -hmm. so it took out those gradations of which is fair they're basically saying is there spondylosis or not that part i wasn't i wasn't struggling so much with but tell me like about that scoring system the the potential problem right is that it treats the spine as one spine right yeah if they have one place of right. anything yeah then that's their score so essentially with that scoring system if you have one little bone spur at one you know at t13 on the edge of t13 right. that's a one and yeah. if you have one little bone spur on every right. vertebrae in your whole spine that's also a yeah. one and so that that was i think and they talked about that at length right this wasn't their scoring system yeah. but this is the published scoring system that they used which is always a good idea but i think specifically for that their second hypothesis that they were trying to tease out i, I just don't know that that scoring system was allowing them to do that now they did right. try to go back and you know, tease out some of the numbers. But again, that's a huge limiting factor because if you're a three, like two threes can be very different on radiographs. You know, two twos can look very, very different. Um, You could have a dog that, you know, has just one little spot that's technically, it's a two. um, And is that really more severe than a dog that's got a grade one throughout the whole spine? So to be honest, we don't know. Um, But it does open that um, that kind of window to be like, "Mm." so I think for the study is saying, what's the effect of chiropractic treatments on spondylosis? I think the binary was probably the right way to mm-hmm. go. I think they were right there. For that second part, I don't know that that was going to help them. And I think that was part of the part of the issues. And I think they, they recognize that. And again, I think they did a really nice job of explaining that in, in the research. But it is, it is certainly a limitation if you're trying to figure out like, why? What, what exactly are we doing? Um, one other, you know, potential hiccup or difficulty in this is... Who's doing those treatments? Yeah. So what are your thoughts on that, given that you've got some experience? Uh, I thought that was interesting. And the first author was the person doing the treatment. Yeah. And so, I mean, you always have to consider who are the authors and why are they writing the paper. Mm -hmm. That was interesting. Um, but also, like, can you extrapolate this to the next person doing chiropractic treatments? So that would be the next level. And I think that gets back to what you were talking about with your personal story. Yeah. With your chiropractic treatments and yep. your yoga, mm-hmm. the person doing it makes a big difference. Like mm-hmm. you could potentially have gone to a different chiropractor and they may have done something different and it might have helped. Right. You could have gone to yoga and had a weird teacher and mm-hmm. hated it and never done any of it. Yep. Um, when I taught, I taught only privately uh-huh. because I feel like everybody has something different they yeah. want to get out of it. Um, and so that plays a big factor. Yeah. It's like who's giving the treatments and yeah. how effective are they? Right. So if you had a class of 30 veterinarians that you're going to teach chiropractic to, and then you send them out into the world and then you do this study, like yeah. is what's the you know practitioner influence on these results? Would somebody um, who isn't doing it very much or isn't trained that much um, going to have the same results? So, yeah. so yeah, again, these are the kind of confounders that you get in all the studies, right? Mm-hmm. Like these are not, you know, attacks. I, again, I, yeah. this is a really, really well done study, really well thought out, super impressive, again, to go 10 years and, and follow this. Um, so I, I was I was actually very impressed with this study. Um, but that doesn't mean we can't critique it and we can't say we have to be careful how we extrapolate from this. So um, from this paper, though, like what what's your take home? 
What's your take home message? What would you tell your colleagues about chiropractic and dogs? I felt like it was good as a preventative measure. I think worth it if yeah. an owner wants to go that route, if they feel like they have an animal that has a potential for something. So would you recommend it in all dogs? Uh, no, probably not. I mean, okay. depending on what would it depend what's on? going on. Breed predilection okay. for something. Yeah. Um, so is this a breed like boxers is, you know, one that they had, a, a, at least boxers in Norway. They were like, yeah, this is pretty common. Yeah. I would say that's fair. I see it in boxers, but. It'd be great to see more studies on different things like, yeah. you know, uh, working dogs or active mm-hmm. dogs and helping with stuff like that. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, all things, it always depends. Yeah. I feel like you can yeah. just recommend something. Which I think is fair. But like you said, this is um, this is promising. And so if you have the right situation, the right client, um, I think it's it's certainly a reasonable thing to offer for folks. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, the next step is how do we use this as a treatment? Because right for this, this was preventive. Yeah. But what about if your dog has back issues? Right. right? So then, you know, there's going to have to be more studies that look into say, can this, you know, improve mobility? Can it improve comfort? Can we reduce... You know, and, and so, okay, I'm curious, Jen, <laughs> you, let's say we're going to fast forward, you've graduated, you're out there and you want to do a study on this. Um, and you want to see if this, say we're going to take dachshunds, you know, not just randomly pick a breed and, you know, the, <laughs> no, this is not random. Like this is, a, this is a breed that is known for chronic back issues. I empathize with these guys because I have chronic back issues, right? Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm part dachshund myself. Um, okay. So you decide you want to find out if chiropractic can help dachshunds. Tell me how you design your study. You have unlimited resources and unlimited time, which is obviously real life, but (laughs) what would you do? I feel like that would be a challenge because if you're looking at trying to help issues that already are occurring, Mm -hmm. the factors that have already gone into getting that dog to that point in their life are complicated. Sure. Um, So you definitely want a really big sample size. Yes. Um, what do you consider a big sample size for a veterinary study? You know, I have no idea. So Fair. I, I Fair. used to do research, but I was doing, you know, biology, ecology kind of stuff. Gotcha. So I feel like even when I went to pick the article, I was like, I don't know which vet journals are good journals. And yeah, that's so fair. I don't know. It seems like I used to work on coral. And so we would have like, you know. All the coral in all, this region. It, you know, we were working on coral sperm specifically so we'd have you know millions of sperm yeah that's Um, plenty to choose from (laughs) yeah so when i think about mammals probably not gonna get millions human beings like how do you get i don't know what's what would be significant so i would say that this they ended up having what 87 or something total dogs that's a pretty darn good sample size um but you compare that to like uh if you're going to do a prospective study in people to try to see like can this treatment make a difference blah 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 mm. um some of the studies they've got tens of thousands of patients oh, wow. in each arm so it depends on the size of the difference you're looking for right so if you are looking for small differences you need a ton of numbers if you're looking for like holy crap like this is making make or break it kind of a thing like mm. these um you can get away with smaller numbers so if something is going to take mortality from 80% to 20 percent, you don't need as many numbers. Um, but if something's going to take mortality from 80% to um, uh, 75%, which is an important drop. Yeah. I mean, if that's my numbers, I want the 75%, but you're going to take a lot more patients to find a, a statistically significant difference. So um, power analyses and things like that are complicated, but suffice it to say, you're right. You're going to need a lot of dogs. Okay. But you have unlimited time and resources. So let's say you're going to get a thousand dogs per arm. That's what you're going to do. What, what are you going to do? Well, I 
half of them would get chiropractic treatments for their back issue. Okay. And half of them wouldn't. Okay. Um, I think it would be good to distribute the the um, per people doing the treatment. Okay, so cool. Just yeah. Kind of make that. So get a few different people doing the chiropractic yeah. treatments. Love it. Okay, what else? And then just looking at whether they improve or not. Okay, so who's going to decide if they improved? Right. <laughs> yeah, we'd have to have to figure that out whether it's yeah. like you could do it a couple of different ways yeah. you could have like an owner scoring yep. system yep yep love it in the end that's kind of the that's piece that can, matters right right yeah um, but you can also have the vet's score as well. Yeah. And actually, like in a study like that, a combination would yeah. be nice, right? You're going to have this objective score, and then you're also going to have the more subjective, you know, yeah. the client's impressions at home. And then what's going to be an important feature um, for the people who are doing the assessments um, for good research so that we we reduce the oh, bias? So that they are blinded yeah so both the client and the person doing the the score need yeah. to not know yeah. right um because the placebo effect is real and it in it, it like if clients think that their pet's getting a treatment they're more likely to think that that right. it's, it's working so yeah. they would also need so the clients would be told like their pets come in for a chiropractic treatment or not they come in um the other thing that you can do is um you'll see this a lot in acupuncture studies they'll do sham acupuncture. Uh -huh. um, and so that's really important. So because you're like, well, what about, you know, they come in and that's stressful to come in for a chiropractic visit and what impact is that having? So basically the animals in both arms of the study would have to come in for sessions, treatment sessions. Yeah. This one's getting chiropractic sessions and this one's getting something kind of like that yeah. that might elicit the same amount of stress or this, that, yeah. but they're not getting appropriate chiro. So this right. one's just going to get a massage and passive range of motion maybe or something like that. Like yeah. you'd have to come up with something that you didn't think was going to, to impact your results that would have no impact, but that might elicit some of the other confounders. So yeah. it gets complicated. Yeah. And then the person, you know, the client, as well as the, the veterinarian, whoever's doing the assessment needs to be blinded to which yeah. one happened. That's, it's hard. Those yeah. are hard studies to do, which is why we don't have that many studies. Um, this, I, I, I love this one. I think they did such a good job because again, they had the, it wasn't blinded, right? Um, it wasn't, but Radiographs are fair. The person who was interpreting the radiographs yeah, was blinded, right. right? So, I mean, they know who got the chiropractic treatments and who didn't, but the person who was looking at the x-rays and scoring them yeah, did not know, know um, which, which puppies had which treatment. So it was blinded in that regard. Um, so that's really important um, because we're human and, you know, and the influence can go in either direction, right? If you're like, I'm anti-chiropractic and you're knowing about it, you might be like, oh, that's not doing anything. So it's just better if we don't know. Um, which is, which is important. So yeah, good job. I totally put you on the spot there on, on like designing a study, but you did great. Um, but it's hard. I'm like, even when you just imagine if I have unlimited time and resources, you're like, Oh my God, even with that, yeah. it's going to be really hard to sort yeah. this out because then there's so many other things. Like, do you match them by age and by body condition score right. and by like, how do you, you know, yeah. it's hard. It's really, really hard. Um, but, you know, anything that is low risk, that was the one thing I wish they'd commented a little bit more on this. Um, but like, what are the risks of chiropractic treatments, yeah. right? Um, they didn't really talk about this and they didn't report any adverse effects to any of the dogs, but they didn't really talk about like what they were looking for. Yeah. So that would be, um, you know, just kind of one other critique in this one that um, for somebody who's like, uh, like I feel like the image of chiropractic treatments for people is very like is the media hasn't really done a good job where somebody comes through and like snaps Frank. your neck yeah. around and you have all these horrible sounds and yeah. and and to be fair having had a couple chiropractic treatments like I get it like that is kind of what some of them are where it's like high impact but low what do they say like 
I think they said it in here, like high impact, but low motion. Like you're not trying yeah. to move things very much, but you're trying to do it. Boom. Like yeah. kind of sharp. It's terrifying. Um, I remember like the, the chiropractor I went to, he was super nice. Um, and he was just like, the, the most important thing is that you're relaxed for this. And I'm like, I know, but like, I know what you're going to do. Like, do you know, anything to relax you. What do you mean? Do anything? I started, they had this awesome, I actually wanted to buy the table from him. They had this really cool roller table that I would start my treatments and I would lay on the roller table and it was sort of like this rolling massage thing. I would uh-huh. do that. Um, but like, I mean, I didn't get any sedatives or anything or like a glass of wine, if that's what you meant. How long but did you roll on the table? I don't remember. It was a good bit, oh. probably 15 minutes or so, oh, yeah. like 10 or 15 minutes. It, was a de- it wasn't just like three minutes and done. Yeah. Um, but I, so I would roll on the table and then I would go into his like, you know, torture chamber table <laughs> That's unfair. So no, um, but then you know because depending on what treatments you were getting, obviously not everybody's getting the exact same thing. Um, but they would do some, you know, get in your yeah. get in the table, move things around, and like the very first time, I was like, relax, relax, and I was able to do that. But um, yeah, and it got better the more treatments I did. I was able to relax, but um, that's one yeah. of the things with Lomi Lomi that okay. I did is that you're getting the massage and the stretching yeah. and and the energy Before. work and the breathing and all that before the did you warn people before you were going to do the chiropractic or did you just surprise them because then they'd be more likely to stay relaxed it depends yeah, it depends on the person yeah and then what's going on with yeah. your body yeah yeah because I was also paranoid I was like I don't want to leave worse um and what I would say is after my chiropractic treatments there was because I'd hurt my mom had gone to a chiropractor for years and like she felt instantly better after yeah. getting her treatment so I had high hopes not gonna lie yeah. um and I didn't get that I didn't get instant improvement and some days I was like maybe you know like I wanted it to work. I was like, maybe it's better. And other days I'm like, I feel like it's worse. You know, like yeah. I could, there was no correlation between my treatments and how my back was doing from a day-to-day basis. So, um, again, <laughs> I, I suspect my back pain is multifactorial as well. There's probably lots of things going on and, um, you know, in under different circumstances, maybe that would make a difference. Um, it didn't, it didn't for me and that end of one, but again, like my mom is very much like, yeah, it really helps her for a lot of different things and that's cool. So, um, again, that's why studies like this are so important. Right. And so, yeah, super kudos to these authors for getting something out there because it's hard doing research is really hard and doing a research study over 10 years is just like, I'm so impressed by these folks. Like it it was really great. Um, and yeah, more stuff like this has to happen to convince the naysayers too. But this is, this is the kind of study that does right is well designed. It's not perfect, but neither are any of them. There's no such thing as a perfect study, but this one's pretty darn good. Um, they really did a nice job. Um, okay. So Maybe you start recommending um, chiropractic treatments. That's something. So this is also the kind of thing when you're making a decision, like, do I want to get certified in chiropractic? This goes, yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah. This is something that's worth doing. And and maybe more stuff comes out and maybe you get to contribute to that down Mm -hmm. the road. And that's, that's really cool. Um, So, yeah. Oh, you were asking earlier. And so I want to talk about this real quick. You were saying like, I don't know, like what's a good journal article or what's a good journal or all these other things. So we're going to take this opportunity. Yeah. To, I'm going to teach you some of the cool things that you can look at. Great. So um, every journal has a website, right? Um, any any journal, if it doesn't, eh, you should be like, what? <laughs> they all have a website. Usually it's part of the publisher, like whoever their overarching publisher is, um, but they should have a website. And on that website, they should have like an about page or something like that. And a couple of things you want to look for is they need to stay very clear, state very clearly peer reviewed, okay? Mm-hmm. That it's peer reviewed. However... 
there's an, that's another thing that you can look at to be a little skeptical of. So you'll notice on the first page um, of this article, um, and if you're um, listening out, you just have to trust me or you can follow along or look later. But um, in the left-hand column, there's a little column off to the left on the, on the first page. Um, and it tells you what the citation should be. It tells you who the editors are. And then below that, it will say received the 11th of June, 2021, accepted the 14th of September, 2021. And it was published online just a few days later. That is so important. If you see received 11 June, 2021 and accepted 12 June, 2021, that did not undergo a review process, right? So, you know, June, July, August, September. So three months, um, uh, you know, of the review process. So that means at some point somebody reviewed. Now, is it possible that they just had a really hard time getting reviewers and they were just like, yeah, whatever, accepted. Mm, Yeah, but probably not. What most likely happened is somebody reviewed it and they sent comments and feedback back to the authors and they said, we need you to tweak these things or change these things or we want this additional information. And then the authors made those changes, resubmitted it, and they were like, good job. And they accepted it at that point. Now, this could have been a couple back and forths in three months. Probably not. Probably just the one, given that time frame. But that's a, that's a nice little thing that you can look at to, you know, sometimes it's like eight months in between other times. But if it's like less than a week or two, like, um, I mean, some people are very good at writing these things. But it just, it just does, it, it raises red flags for me. Yeah. No matter um, what, how good your article is, yeah. you always get somebody's some gonna feedback. have. Yeah, somebody's gonna have like, well, I wasn't clear about this, or you yeah. know, I, I, there's like, if I were reviewing this article, I'd be like, hey, there's like a a, um, a reference or a footnote in table one, and I have no idea. I couldn't find it. I don't know if you'll notice this, but like litter fifteen. If you look at the parent scores, it's zero slash zero point three three with a, a superscript one, and I'm like, I don't know what a third of a score is. So I don't know what that means. So I was trying to find it, but I couldn't find it. Um, I didn't try the hardest in my whole life, but I was like, what's that? That should have been, in my opinion, yeah. in the in the table, like that's where that reference should have been. Yeah. should have been explaining that to me right there. So like, those are the kinds of things that if I'm reviewing an article, I go, wait, I don't understand what this is. Yeah. And those are the things that get fixed. And again, I've reviewed articles and missed things for sure. Um, and I've certainly missed a lot of things when I've written the articles, yeah. but, um, but I, I like to see that process. So that's one of the things that I'm going to look at to, when you tell me it's peer reviewed, I want you to prove to me it's peer reviewed. And that's one little piece of evidence that you can provide. You can also look at impact factor. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. So what's the impact factor? Um, I'd, I'd not of this, but I yeah. mean, just what is it in general? So impact factor is just kind of like how, important the journal is. Yeah. Sort of. Do you know what they use to, to determine that? I don't know all the factors yeah. involved. So basically it's how many times do articles that get published in this journal get oh, cited right. by yeah. other articles? Mm-hmm. That's it. Now, how does that actually get, cal- I don't remember exactly what the number means, but a higher number means that these articles are widely read and then they are impacting future science. So somebody yeah. is referring to this article down the road. And so the more, um, you know, and so you could have a journal that has like a couple of big articles that, you know, drive up its impact factor and the rest are terrible, um, but usually not, usually not. Um, And so that increases. So you as the author are thinking too, like, I want this to be widely read. I've got groundbreaking stuff here and I need everybody to read it. So you're going to look for um, journals with a higher impact factor. Um, And then obviously in veterinary medicine, we have to look at that our potential audience is different, but you can compare veterinary journals to other veterinary journals, right? Or whatever field you're in. And that's why I was like, I haven't, like, I knew that before. Mm -hmm. From other research, research, yeah. But I was like, I have no idea the impact of any veterinary journals because I haven't had the time to go and look. Yeah, and so there are ways, you know, again, usually you can Google that um, and it'll be on the, the, you know, journal's webpage, what their impact factor is. I think, I haven't looked at this recently, 
Um, but for a long time, the JVI, the Journal of Veterinary Internal Medicine, had the highest impact factor of veterinary journals. Um, but uh, I don't know. That may have changed. I haven't looked at that in years. Um, mostly, you just kind of get used to the you know yeah. the journals that you know. Obviously, JAVMA is widely read, um, where JVIM was high, more citations, right? And so you, that's that's where the impact factor comes in. It's not just who's reading it, but what scientists are looking back and citing the articles that came out of your journal. Um, so you know, impact factor is another way. But there's also, uh, you know, I get, I don't. I haven't gotten as many recently because um, I blocked a lot of them, but um, the predatory journals. So like there'll be emails where I get an, the journal of pediatric gastroenterology invites you to submit, you know, your illustrious work to blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, um, check your sources, man, because I am not a pediatric gastroenterologist and you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like those kinds of things go around where, um, so th- that's a bit sketchy. Um, but those are, journals are not going to have a big impact factor, right? Um, So yeah, just you had mentioned that before and I was like, oh, this is a good opportunity to share some of that stuff. So um, yeah, Uh, that I don't know that I have anything else to to say. What else, what are your final thoughts um, on this journal article? I was just excited that we got to do this article because I really am very interested in it. Yeah. And um, thank you for let me pick. Absolutely. Thanks for picking. about it with me. Yeah. No, again, I, you know, whenever it was like you sent an article, I, was, I skimmed it and I was like, this has promise. <laughs> um, but then I read it later. I was like, this was really good. <laughs> yeah. So um, massive kudos. Um, thank you to all of you out there that are doing research. Like, you know, it's hard. Research is really, really hard. Um, but we're happy to read it and see what nuggets we can learn from it. Um, but we need more. So keep doing that research. Um, and then if you do that research, we'll come on to the show and talk about it. <laughs> And so um, thank you so much for listening. Uh, Thank you, Jen, so much for being here. Really enjoyed having you. And we will catch you all next time.